I, I like that part where the quarterback says, but your will. This guy, this is like devastating. And, and yet, but Lord, your will. Here's what I'd like to see happen. I'd like to not have this injury, but your will. What happens when we are Christians is we understand that there is something bigger going on. There is something bigger going on in God's kingdom and something deeper going on in us. And therefore, whatever is in front of us, we'll deal with it, we'll see it, we'll understand it, we'll feel it, but we know there's something bigger going on. And that's a part of this mindset we've been talking about in moving toward holiness. So we're going to talk a little more about that today. Uh, but first, a couple other things. Uh, one is we're giving back to God. Now, these are our ushers who are not only coming so we can give back to God, if you're a guest, don't worry about it, but they will be calling um, church fouls. If you fall asleep during the sermon, they will whistle you, draw attention to you, okay? If you um, take a cell phone call during... You, I'm kidding, they won't actually. I thought that was so much funnier than you did. I thought that was... Okay, guess not. It's going to be one of those days, huh? Okay, okay. I can handle it. Uh, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. Uh, by the way, if you'll just take the little card in front of you, fill it out, and stop by the guest uh, services out there, uh, the kiosk, they have a homemade treat for you. A homemade treat. It's, it's worth it. Believe me. Uh, you want to stop by there? And for everybody, we have a little tailgate party going on on the patio. Stop by, get some free food, say hi to folks, um, have some fun. That'd be great. Also, if you're struggling after this service, our elders are available. We'd love to pray with you. Um, and uh, whether it's a physical ailment or financial challenges, relational, they would love to just pray with you for a moment if you'd like that. And you can just meet them down front here. And that would be, that would be great. So uh, we're doing this series called Perfect. Um, perfect from afar, but far from perfect, which describes many of our lives, especially on social media. So um, we thought we'd look at it. How do we not just kind of pretend to be better than we are, but actually get better than we are? And so we've been looking at First Peter, and Peter calls us to something more than pretending we're perfect and projecting an image on social media. He calls us to something called holiness. Holiness uh, in, in chapter 1 of First Peter is about God uh, calling us to be separate, set apart, for his good purposes. So there's two aspects. That one is to be different from the world around us, and the other is so that, through that, we can impact others with the good news of what Christ has done. And so uh, set apart for his good purposes. And so today, I want to start in uh, chapter 2, verse 11. And we'll just kind of walk through this for the next few moments. Uh, So let's look at that. Uh, If you bring that up, uh, if you have a Bible, you can open that certainly, or a phone app, uh, Bible app. Uh, Dear friends, remember Peter is writing to these former pagans, former um, uh, kind of pantheists. Uh, They had a number of different gods. They would, all the temples and stuff, the Greek gods and the Roman gods and all this stuff. And they have been converted to Christianity as opposed to Peter, who was a Jew who became a Christ follower. And he writes accordingly. And so he says, uh, dear friends, in other words, the the way you could translate this, uh, my beloved or or those that I love. He's writing not as somebody's rebuking them or chastising them. He's writing to them as someone who loves them and um, who is trying to help them grow in their faith because persecution is on the horizon uh, for them. And so he's trying to grow them and, and teach them how to, how to depend on God even in difficult times. So um, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now there's three things here, but there's two that don't seem, we understand them separately. We don't necessarily understand them together. And so the first one is foreigners and exiles. And he's simply saying, uh, this life isn't all there is. You are just passing through this life on your way to eternity. And so, uh, so have you ever said to your kids, oh, don't sit down, we're not staying long? 
Right? You ever say that? Like, don't get comfortable because we're not staying very long. And that's, that's exactly what Peter is saying to these believers. He's saying, don't get comfortable. You're not staying long. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't where you belong. That's how the video ended. Did you catch that? When he said, when he talked about the end, and he's talking, I'm finally home to a place I've never been before in essence. Uh, well, part of what Peter is saying is, you, you're a foreigner here. Don't expect your life to be great and to be perfect and all to get worked out in these 80 years, 90 years, whatever you're here on this earth. Just remember this isn't your home. So how does that, why is that in the same sentence as um, to abstain from sinful desires? And so I have a thought on that. And um, have you ever traveled and picked up tchotchkes, curios, souvenirs? What's the problem with buying souvenirs is you have to carry them the rest of the trip. You have to haul them around with you. Now, some places have gotten sophisticated, and they'll mail them directly to your house for you, which I think is unfair because it makes it too easy to buy stuff, and I don't need more stuff. Uh, but the picture is, if you are on this journey through this life, you're journeying through this life, you don't need to be dragging a bunch of stuff with you, right? You don't need to be dragging a bunch of stuff. And he's saying that, so when he talks about sinful desires and abstain from sinful desires, that could be a number of things. That could be just our appetites, just our normal appetites. We want what we want when we want it. It can be, and I want to suggest this is the aspect that we should look at today, it can be influenced by the time and place in which we live. And Romans talks about renewing of your mind. And a part of why you need your mind renewed is because of the fashionable sins of the time and place in which you live. Well, what would be a fashionable sin for us? Consumerism. Consumerism is, is we, we go into debt, we buy stuff we don't need because we think that's going to make us happy. And he says, don't, don't buy into, not only don't accumulate stuff you don't need, don't buy into the philosophies or the values of the world in which you live because it's temporary. So don't expect anything temporary to bring you the happiness you'll only find in eternity. And so think differently about your world. Don't just buy into what everybody says you need or want. Don't let the world you're living in dictate what you value and what you, what you invest yourself in. So it might be consumerism. It might be dragging debt, consumer debt with us. We're not free to do the next thing he's going to tell us to do because we're trying to pay off consumer debt. We bought too much stuff and it's broken and gone, but we're still paying for it, right? That might be one of them. There are many others, but he, he links this. This thing is you don't really belong to this world. In turn, it's not permanent. This is just something you're moving through. Now, what happens while you're moving through is really important, and that's what Peter's talking about. So as you're on this road to holiness, being set apart for God's good purposes, to be more like Jesus, and this life is about being on that road. It's about moving toward Christ-likeness because what you will take into eternity is who you become. The character we develop here will go to eternity with us. That is worth investing in. You know what else will go to eternity with us? Those who we influence for Christ. Those who come to believe in Christ because we shared with them, they will also go into eternity. Those things are worth investing in. Those things matter, whether it's your children, it's your neighbor, whatever it might be. So remember you're moving through. Don't get caught up with the values and the stuff in the day uh, in which you live. Instead, become more like Christ. This life is about becoming more like Christ and influencing others to do the same. And then he says, which wage war against your soul? There's some debate about what he means by your soul there, but here's what I think it means. Uh, and, and it's not just me, lots of commentators. Um, on this journey to our holiness, we are becoming not only more like Jesus, but we're becoming who we were created to be. 
We were created to be holy people. We're created to be people with certain gifts and passions and personalities and impact. And as we're on that, all of these other things are at war with that. They're trying to detract us from becoming that person that we're supposed to be. So if I get caught up in consumerism, I'm not going to become the person I'm supposed to be. If I get caught up in, in some other kind of desires that, that derail me, I'm not going to become. So it's a war with my soul, the very who I'm supposed to be, the very core of who I'm supposed to be. And so he's warning, don't get caught up in temporary, temporal stuff when there is eternal stuff to be, to be dealt with and, and, and bigger and higher stuff. Now, how do you do that? In verse 12, I really like this because this would kind of be the key to this section. So let's just put verse 12 up there. So in verse 12, he begins with this, live such good life. So I would probably, this whole first section, I would kind of title it the good life. Live such good lives. Now what's interesting is that the good life, we in America think we know what the good life is. I was going to bring out a recliner. I was going to bring out a recliner and sit in it, and, 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 but I thought I might not get up again. So, um, and I was going to say, we in America have the American dream, and it's the good life. The good life is you're sitting in your recliner, you got a beer in your hand, you're watching the game, you can afford the house you live in, or at least make the payments, you can afford the cars in your driveway, and you're doing pretty good. That's the American dream. And it's all about three things. It's about comfort, it's about security, and it's about safety. Me and my big chair, I am protected, I am safe economically, physically, I am comfortable. That is the American dream. But what if God calls you to something bigger? So the American dream, and we buy into it without even thinking about it, we just assume that it's truth, that it's the thing we should buy into, that it's the way you live. We all do it. I'm not chastising anybody. I do it too. If we can just get there, so we, we go to school and try to get good enough grades to get into a good college or a good trade school or get into a good job or whatever it is, and then we get the job, and then we, and then we eventually are able to buy a decent car, and then we're eventually able to buy a little house somewhere, and we use someone along them might get married, start having kids, in which case you got to buy a bigger car with more more seats, more rows, right? And so you got to work harder to earn more money. So then you start doing that. And, and then you buy a bigger house because the kids, you need a bigger house and, and then you buy a different car. And then, then you got to remodel the house because it's three years old now. And, and so we're just on this treadmill and we're working harder and we're spending. And all this time we're thinking all this stuff is what you do because it's the American dream. And after, after all, everybody does it. So it must lead to happiness. Because the American dream is about the pursuit of happiness. What this passage says is live such good lives. A better translation might be live such noble lives. So there's a difference between a good life and a noble life. The good life is about comfort, security, and safety, right? The noble life is about something greater. I don't think Mother Teresa ever achieved the American dream. A, she wasn't American, didn't live in America, but I would describe her life as a noble life, would you not? The thought of living like Mother Teresa is out of the question. And yet, should it be? What he's saying to these people who are about to experience persecution is, whatever the, the, the dream was, it wasn't the American dream, but they had the same desires, comfort and security and safety, that may not be the highest thing you can aspire to. And maybe through the discomfort you're about to experience and may already be experiencing, you might actually be able to aspire to something better, a noble life. Right? And so we, in, in our lives, we just assume that this is the goal. 
but it might not be. What Peter is trying to help them and, and in turn help us do is to aspire to something more, something noble, something that will last beyond our lifetime, something that honors God, something that benefits his kingdom. Because in that, in that uh, wheel there that, that I mentioned a while ago, uh, we're, we're working, we're buying the house, we're buying the cars, we're working, we're doing that. We're doing that. Where is the nobility? Where's the nobility? Well, I raised good kids so they could get on the same wheel. Right? That doesn't, that doesn't make you exceptional that you raise good kids. It makes you responsible. And I know it's hard, and yet that's what we're supposed to do when we bring kids in. That's what we're supposed to do. And it is somewhat noble, but where is it beyond something that serves you? Where is it more than just what is best for me and mine? That aspiring to something noble is so rare for us and it's so difficult for us to even contemplate but we need to we need to contemplate we need to look at lives you need to i need to what about my life is sacrificial what about my life is about more than just me even my christianity is about me getting into heaven where is the nobility and so i want to show you why it was so important in their context Sometimes living in the West, and especially in the United States, we don't understand the importance of it because we have so much safety and so much ease and, 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 and we're so comfortable. And you're saying, well, no, I've traveled. I can take you to places that you'll, you'll, be, you'll be shocked at what happens in the world. And this looks a lot like heaven. <laughs> it's not, but we tend to think it might be. Matter of fact, I was talking to a guy last night. He was so bummed out that several friends he prayed for had died. And, and he said, I just can't believe God let us down and didn't heal him. And, th- and I finally said to him, you actually think the earth is better than heaven. They got a promotion. You're stuck here. Right? So we talk about things, but do we really believe them? Do I really believe that God has a call in my life? Do I really believe that he wants to move me to be like Jesus? Jesus didn't own a lot. He didn't have the American dream. He didn't even have the Jewish dream. He didn't have a place to lay his head, he said. And yet, I don't think there was a more noble life ever lived. And so a part of what we have to change our thinking from is the good life, the American dream, to a noble life. That doesn't mean you can't have those other things. If God gives them to you, great, but that's not the point of life. The point of life is to to do something with your life that's noble. Here's why it mattered then. Here's why it matters now. So if you go on, let's put verse 12 back up again, please. Live such good lives, such noble lives among the pagans. Pagans, referring to those previous to their conversion, were not Jewish. They were uh, worshiped a bunch of different gods. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the days. So let's take those in pieces. There's two pieces. They accuse you of doing wrong, and they may see your good deeds and glorify God. There's actually three pieces there. So let's start with this. Accuse you of doing wrong. What is that about? Here's what's happening there. Peter says, you're about to get persecuted. The reason you're about to get persecuted is because people are spreading all kinds of nasty rumors about you. I don't know if you ever watch a movie or, or a, uh, I, you know, like a, a comedy show on TV or something. Almost every time they portray a Christian that he's some kind of bigoted, ignorant, backwoods redneck, right? Almost every time. And, and I just look at him and go, Phew. and to me it's laughable. But what was being said about these Christians in Asia Minor was much worse than that. And so these are actual things we read in extra-biblical sources, historical sources. They would accuse them of, of not caring about mankind. Think about this. It's spring. You're about to plant the crops, so you go to the temple of the god of fertility. 
And you go and you do worship there. You bring sacrifice, you bring stuff. And they had other kind of disgusting things they did, especially if they got a fertility. All right? And the, everybody goes except the Christians. Why are you not worshiping the God of fertility? That's the one who brings our crops and we want a good crop. Do you not care about us? And the Christians are going, but that's not a God. We don't believe in that God. So another thing that happened uh, with them is that Caesar had to be a Roman, um, both citizens and those who were occupied, had to acknowledge Caesar was God and Christians would not do that. Caesar wouldn't, they would not say that Caesar was divine. And so, therefore, they were in opposition to the state. They were in rebellion against the Roman government. And so they were considered bad citizens. And one of the more extreme ones that we find in history is that they were accused of being cannibals. Why was this? Because of the Lord's Supper. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was a metaphor Jesus used, but when people overheard it, they said, oh, they're cannibals. It was crazy stuff. It was ignorant stuff. And yet what, what he, he says there is that they're going to accuse you of all kinds of things. They're going to misunderstand you of all kinds of things. But let's look at that passage again. Can we go back to that verse 12, please? Live such noble lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrong, and they make up all kinds of crazy stuff about you, have a misunderstanding about you. Whenever I meet somebody and I tell them what I do, they look at me and I can always tell, you know, they, if they're not a believer, they oh, I'm like, nah, knock it off. Um, uh, they accuse you of doing wrong. That, that, so the good lives, the noble lives, they may see your good deeds. The good, how do you change the world's mind about Christ and about Christians? Good deeds set apart for God's good purposes, God's good deeds. Christians throughout history have been the ones starting hospitals, the ones going in when others are running out. They're the ones that go into the plague and try to care for It's Christians because we have the love of God and no fear of death right? And so uh, they may see your good deeds. And by the way, the, the, this is an interesting phrase, this, the, the word see up there. The word see doesn't mean they just casually look at it. It means as you are in close proximity, upon closer inspection, they realize you're not what they thought you were. They're not what they've been, you're not what they've been told you are. You actually are someone who has something different about you. Remember that set apart? So there's something different. You act out of a motivation of love, not selfishness. Not taking advantage of others, not putting others down, not trying to climb to the top of some heap. You're acting out of love because God has so loved you and has forgiven you, you want to love others. As upon closer inspection, they realize there's something different about what you do and why you do it. And here is the last part. The last part is uh, so that they, they who once accused us, misunderstood us, glorify God on the day that he visits. What does that mean? They become Christians. Boiled down, it means they too understand your motivation is different, your heart is different, the level of peace in your life is different, your aspirations are different, and they come to believe in Jesus Christ. Remember about investing in eternity, the character we develop and the people we take with us. That's what Peter's saying. What Peter is saying is you're about, about to face tough times. Don't just survive it. Do it right, and you will not only get through and develop incredible character in the process, others will come and follow Jesus with you. That's a part of the picture he's trying, he's trying to give us in verse, in verse 12. So let's look at verse 13 then. So the first one is about the good life or the noble life. This is about being um, a good citizen. Now, oftentimes in America, we completely mess up this citizen and Christian thing. We either, we either 
think that all citizens ought to live according to Christian rules, which is not true. Only Christians are supposed to live in Christian rules, right? Uh, and, or we just think they're not at all connected in any way, that our Christianity shouldn't affect our, our uh, citizenship. Both are wrong, okay? So in verse 13, he says a word right off the bat that we all hate, and it's the word submit. We hate the idea of being submitted. We hate it. When's the last time you got a ticket? You get a ticket, pulls you over, asks for your license, and you say, you know, officer, um, I think you're right. I was going too fast. I just so appreciate you stopping me and, and correcting this. We're going to have a better society, and you're just doing such a great job. Just thank you for giving me. That's all we all say, right? <laughs> the worst is when you get stopped and your kids are in the car, and they're in junior high. <laughs> Happened to me one time. I got stopped, and he was um, and he pulls me over. He tells me what it was. I'm like, and um, about halfway through the first sentence, I realized that in the back is my daughter and her best friend, my daughter in, in junior high. And I have been telling her whole life that we love the police. They are good. They help us stay safe. They are good for our society and we should obey them. Halfway through the first sentence, when I was about to rip this guy, I remembered they're sitting in the back. And you know what I had to do in that moment? Submit. I hate to submit. We all hate to submit. And yet there is this concept within Christianity that we, the first step is to come to the place where we realize there is a God and it's not me. That's called submission. There is a God. It's not me. And therefore, he knows better. And to reinforce that God has put in place the opportunity for us to practice submission even to the authorities around us. So let's go on. Let's read some more of this because it's shocking stuff. Submit yourself. Now, this is a weird phrase. Submit, because he's going to say down here, authority. Every human authority. That means government. All right? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Why, why would it be for the Lord's sake we're submitting ourselves to, to authority? Why is it? Let me give you two things. One is because it teaches us to submit. And we all need to practice submission. What do you think you're teaching your three-year-old? To submit. Every time they try to touch a hot oven and you correct them, you're teaching them to submit to somebody who knows better, right? And so we have to teach three-year-olds. We have to learn ourselves to be submitted, and it develops our character and, and helps us. But it also helps the kingdom of God. I'll show you in a minute how that works. But as we submit to the authority, so remember, these pagans are under Roman law. They're not... Peter comes from a Jewish situation where they're always subversive to the Romans. They're trying to do everything sneaky they can to overthrow them, right? He's talking to citizens uh, maybe of Rome or certainly under Roman rule, and he is saying the point isn't to overthrow the government and set up a better political system in, in that case. He's saying the point is to be a part of the bigger kingdom of God. Remember, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God first. And so submit to those authorities I put in. Now, there are places where the government is in opposition to Scripture. We find that in, uh, in Acts when the apostles say, uh, you judge for yourselves, is it more important for us to honor God or obey God or obey man? When they're in conflict, we must obey God. But he's talking to people where it's not necessarily in conflict. He's, he's saying that being a good citizen is important. So submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether the emperor uh, as the supreme authority, go on, that's verse, verse um, 14, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. So he's saying submit 
because he's, he's going to use that for his kingdom's sake. Let's do the next verse, and then I'll tell you something interesting. All right, and then, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So in other words, by being good citizens, noble citizens, we actually earn the opportunity for God to use us to speak uh, about God and about eternity to others in our society. So we should be citizens. We shouldn't be the ones just sitting back pointing fingers. We should be proactively doing noble good works in our community and even in cooperation. with. Now, so here's the deal. You may or may not like the president administration. I, I'm not going to comment one way or the other. But having said that, the Bible calls us in another place to pray for those in authority. Even the ones you don't like, to pray for them so that God will give them wisdom, but so that God will also keep your heart right. And we're, we are to obey and we're to pray for those in authority. And the most powerful thing about it is it keeps our heart right. Here's a little teaching I'm going to give you. This is, I'm not going to charge you probably. I may uh, for this little next segment. It's one of the things that we who are independent, self, we don't understand that much of God's blessings comes to, uh, come to us through the authorities over us. Just as little children are blessed by having a mom and dad who provide and care for them, we are blessed by a government who provides freedom and safety, opportunity for us. It is a gift. I, again, I'll take you to a place in the world where it doesn't exist. And you'll come back and you will be thankful for the authorities, even the ones you don't like or disagree with. You will be thankful because God blesses us through them. So I don't know if I believe that. So let's say you, um, you're rich and you want to buy an island off the Atlantic coast, and you do. It's your own island. You own it. It's not, it's not U.S. It's not Bahamian. It is its own island. It is Fred, uh, Fredland or whatever, if your name's Fred. And, and, you do, and it's great having your own island. You don't have to submit to any authority. You don't have to submit to anybody else. It's your own island. You're just loving this until somebody attacks you. Who are you going to call? You're not under the U.S. You're not under the Bahamians. You're not under anybody. You are exposed and out there and in trouble. So I'm going to take this a step further I don't believe that's just true in government. I believe it's true in church. I believe that much of how God blesses us and guides us and leads us is through the spiritual authorities in our lives. So I'm, I'm going to get in your kitchen a little bit. Um, so I hear people all the time. Well, I go to this church sometime because they have their parking is so much easier. And I go to this church because I really like their music. And I go to this church because I, and I, and I'm like, I just want to say, stop. You don't understand scripture. You are ignorant of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says park it somewhere. I don't care if it's this church or another church, as long as they teach the Bible. Get in a church, get in a relationship so that God can bless you because much of the blessing in your life comes through the spiritual authority. It's through their teaching, it's through their care, it's through their prayer over you. So this idea of being a consumer Christian is unbiblical, period. Wow, that felt good. Okay, so... <laughs> um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I don't have, there's no issue going on in the church. There's no, don't read anything into it. This is just good teaching. I'm not going to charge you, I decided. It's for free. It's for your benefit, okay? Park yourself somewhere. Get under some authority. Both the pastor, the staff, small group leader, those are all ways that God can bless you and guide you and direct you. We in the West don't understand the power of being under authority. And yet, again and again in Scripture, it's taught. And so he's, he's saying... 
Start practicing it with your government. Start praying for them. Submit, unless it's unbiblical what they're asking you to do, start doing that thing. All right? So, um, for it is, is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant people, the people who don't understand you, and the foolish people. In other words, people will begin to see you for who you really are. You are a follower of Christ, and you're becoming more like him, okay? And that's an incredibly part. And then verse, verse 16, the last one we're going to do for today, is, um, is live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. By the way, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're a bigot, um, you're a racist, you carry bitterness, um, any number of things, don't, don't, don't. There's no need to. You don't have to. You're a Christian. God will change that in you. Let him change that in you. Don't, we all want somebody to be friends, to know people who are authentic. Hypocrisy doesn't cut it anywhere. And as Christians, we're called to change the world. And hypocrisy will not change the world. Only authentically following him, being free. And by the way, freedom isn't doing anything you want. Free is, freedom is becoming who God wanted you to be, who God made you to be, being free with God's help to become that person. That's what freedom looks like. Live as God's slaves. Live as God's slaves. We're going to talk about slaves next week because the next section is about slaves. It's not the same kind of slavery that we know. It was still not a good thing, but it was not the kind that we're familiar with here in the United States. And yet, just remember, your life is about serving God because you are preparing for eternity and you're making a difference here. And just raise your sights, raise your aspirations, and understand God's up to a lot more in you and through you. Deal with whatever's in front of you. Be aware of it, feel it, see it, whatever you got to do. But just raise your sights and your mindset to what God might be up to in any given moment. I like that quarterback. He doesn't want to sit out that game, but God's will. God might be doing something deeper in his life and through his life. And God might be doing something deeper in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we thank you. Um, you are mysterious. Lord, your will is mysterious. But what is not mysterious, Lord, is your character. I, from your word, from my experience, I know your character. You're absolutely just. You're unconditionally loving. You're always consistent. And you always have best intentions toward me. And so, Lord God, even when there are things happening that I can't understand, even when I am called to take steps of faith where I'm not sure how it's going to turn out, I can always trust you that you are leading me in the, the way, the way that grows me, the way that will change my world, uh, for your kingdom. And so let us learn to trust you at every turn. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.